So I've been driving a while, and as you've been driving for a while, you begin to understand that there's certain decisions and choices you got to make that are responsible, right, that go along with, with driving responsibly, right? you got to stop at a red light. <laughs> you've got to look before um, making a turn, right, all those type of things, right, or before uh, changing lanes. These are different uh, choices and decisions you make when you've been driving for a while. However, there are circumstances, in my case, when I'm running late, uh, which sadly happens far too often, uh, you, you make what I would call bad choices. Um, you make unwise decisions. Circumstances that sort of bring that out, and, and that's happened to me on more than one occasion. Uh, this particular occasion, I was getting to an appointment, and I was, I was going to be on time, but I had like no buffer. I had to have everything go exactly right. <laughs> and so I'm going up to I-17, I make this right turn, and I needed to, as soon as I made that right turn, I needed to make the first right turn right to where my appointment was, and I missed it. I drove past it, and I don't know if you, certain parts of the I-17, if you miss it, like it's hard to go back, right? So I made that right turn off the I-17, missed that first turn, so I immediately made the second turn. So I'm in this sort of parking lot, and there's no way for me to easily go back to where I, the turn that I missed. I had to, to do that, I had to go, keep going further down the street, make this U-turn, come all the way back around. It had been like a good five, seven minute delay. I didn't have five or seven minutes. So, I made a bad choice, <laughs> an unwise decision <laughs> in that circumstance. I thought, well, if I quickly go into oncoming traffic, <laughs> and if I do it really quick, and, I, and this is a busy street, it was like, I don't know, like Northern or Bethany, or somewhere up there, one of those places, right? And I, so there's a lot going on there, and I'm just thinking if I quickly make that turn and turn into the spot that I missed before oncoming traffic hits, then I'll be all right if I just do it quick enough. And so that's what I did. I came out, quickly tried to go into oncoming traffic before it hit me, and made that tried to make that turn into the entrance. The thing is, it so happened someone was trying to come out of that entrance, as I was turning in. Of course, they're looking to the left, not expecting someone coming to the right. Uh, I quickly swerve, they swerve to, they look at me with that sort of look of, what the heck, probably not saying that word. What <laughs> are you doing? Uh, and I just barely avoided each other. Uh, my heart's beating, everything else. Again, it's one of those decisions, right, you make. Um, a bad choice an unwise decision that brought me into a very difficult and tricky situation, right? Uh, one of my own making, for sure. Um, and that's an example, of course, in, in, in driving. Uh, but it's got me thinking about just different areas of our life where circumstances happen, where different things are occurring. And often it's when we're afraid, when we're stressed, um, when we are feeling panicked in some way. Different pressures that come in that lead to us making a bad choice an unwise decision. We get involved in these difficult situations and we can feel trapped, right? Sort of trapped in, in more bad choices, in more unwise decisions. And this morning, very simply, what I want to do is, is show how we have a God who is with us even in our bad choices. A God who is with us even in unwise decisions. You've got a God, I believe in a God, who is able to protect us and guide us even in our worst choices, even in our most unwise decisions, even in the worst troubles of our own making. So to show that, we're going to look again at the story of David. David is a good example for a lot of these kind of things. Um, and so 
we're back in chapter 27, uh, back in 1 Samuel, now in chapter 27, verse 1 of chapter 27, it says this. Then David said in his heart, now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me than, I should, than I, that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. Now, last week at the end of chapter 26, we saw David escape yet again from Saul. And Saul made these promises. Hey, I'm really sorry, David. I won't do this again. David knows that ain't true. Um, he doesn't trust Saul. And he's feeling the pressure. It's only a matter of time before Saul comes after him again. And, and so Saul, so David's like, what do I do? And we see here he feels compelled to go into the land of his enemies, the land of the Philistines. And David, of course, is known for being successful at killing Philistines, right? That's, that's his rep. So it's dangerous for him to go there. Um, and at, yet, though, at a human level, we understand why David is coming to this decision, don't we? Um, I mean, he's, he's got a huge troop of people now, 600 troops. He's got wives and families now traveling with him. And so he looks around and he's thinking, like, how do I protect for them? How do I provide for them? What are the things? I'm on the run constantly. I need to do something. I need to figure out something. And so he makes this decision to go into the land of the Philistines. But I want you to notice here, here's a decision that he makes. And it says he says in his heart, here's what I'm going to do. The contrast of decision compared to other situations where he's also at risk. He's also facing difficulty. So think back to David when he was facing Goliath. Here's a danger, dangerous situation. He's at risk. And what does David do there? It's interesting what he says there. Do you remember what he said? He says, the Lord will deliver me. The Lord will deliver me, even as I enter into the situation. Or think back to chapter 23, and he's trying to figure out, should I go help this town in Israel, even though it's going to let Saul know where I'm at and put me at risk? What does he do? He inquires of the Lord. He asks God, what should I do? And God says, go do it. And so he does it. I think also of, of uh, Abigail in chapter 25. He meets this woman, Abigail, who warns David, don't go and do this thing. He wants to, he's a mad at Nabal. He wants to kill Nabal and everyone. And Abigail's like, don't do that. Right? Speaks against this violent tendency of David. And, she's, and Abigail says this to him, reminds him of this promise of God. He sa- she says in verse 29 of chapter 25, if men rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies she shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. Reminding him, right? Remember how God was with you against Goliath? God is always going to take care of you no matter what situation you're in, no matter where you're at. Or then think of what David writes in, I mean, David himself, thinking about when he's in situations like this. Here's what he writes in Psalm 42. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? What should you do? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him my salvation. Those are good choices. Those are wise decisions to make when you're in difficulty. Um, but that's not what we see here, is it? You notice how all that kind of language I just mentioned is absent, right, in this verse? Fear, uncertainty, stress, I think is leading him to say, like, I've got to figure out something. He doesn't seek the Lord. He doesn't rely on the things that he has said he believes about God. And so it leads to him making what I would say is a bad choice, an unwise decision. And it's going to put him in a very difficult situation, as we'll soon see. And again, the thing, as we sort of think about this, sort of an overall level, especially for us today, I mean, we, we get in circumstances, don't we? And I, I don't know what your trigger is, right? And that's, I just want to imagine you, invite you to just sort of think and imagine, be honest with yourself. What are your trigger? You know, when I'm, when I'm late somewhere, there's certain triggers for how I start driving when I'm running late. 
That's true for driving, but what's true for you in your life? Maybe it's in the ways you interact in your marriage or in your family. Maybe it's in certain ways you relate to people in your, your school setting, your work setting. Maybe it's certain financial decisions you make. I, I, don't, I don't know what it is, but to sort of be honest about the certain circumstances that you're in that particularly, it's the things that like keep you up at night maybe, that particularly bring stress or fear, fear or difficulty and what that can lead you to do. The bad choices you might be inclined to make, the unwise decisions you might be led to. And in those things, what ends up happening is we'll make choices, we'll make decisions that don't line up with what we say we believe. We become, and I'm the first person to say this, but we become what we might call functional atheists, right? And what that means is there's things we say we believe about God, but then given certain circumstances and certain situations, we don't actually make choices and decisions that show we believe that. It shows that we actually don't believe in God. We believe in whatever situation that is. We, we become atheists in those moments. And so we make those choices. We make those decisions. And especially if they're bad choices, if they're unwise decisions, can lead into a mess of our own making. And I would argue this is what we're going to see with David. So David decides, I'm going to go into this enemy country, and he basically asks for asylum. David has been in this place before. Back in chapter 21, he was kind of trying to sneak in. But back then, he was sort of mostly by himself. This time, that's not going to work. He's there with all his men, with their wives and family. So estimate probably 2,000, 3,000 people, right, who would have been coming into this country. So he's got to come in officially. He's got to ask for asylum. And he talks to Achish, who's the king of Gath, one of the major Philistine cities. And he convinces him in verse 5, hey, can you let me stay? Let me stay in one of the country towns. Allow me and my people to be there. And Achish agrees. And, and really, why, why does he agree? I think he thinks to himself, this is one of Israel's mightiest warriors. Like, he's going to owe me. He's going to owe me if I help him. He's going to be indebted to me. That's the way sort of society works back then. You do something for someone, they're going to owe you. They're going to be indebted to you. So that's what he thinks here. And David, it's interesting, says, basically he's more than willing to allow Akish to think this way. And he does it by doing this. Look at verse 8. Where it's basically told David and his men start doing raids against the neighboring nations. But here's what David does. He tells Akish, look, look, I'm doing these raids. I'm doing it against my own people, against the other Israelites. Basically, he's lying. He's straight up lying, right? He's doing raids against neighboring nations and making it look like, no, I'm going against my people. So he's making Akish think like, yeah, we're, we're together, right? I've, I've abandoned my people. I'm with the Philistines now. The other thing he does is he doesn't leave any survivors, right? He wipes people out, wipes towns out so no one can report back to what he's doing. Akish believes what David is doing, right? He believes what David is telling him, right? And again, he thinks like, man, he'll never be able to go back. Because what he's doing. Look at verse 12. He thinks to himself, David has made himself an utter stench to his people Israel. Therefore, he shall always be my servant. Right? He, he thinks David is attacking his own people, but David's not doing that at all. He's attacking these other neighboring countries. But also notice what he does here, too. Verse 9 tells us that he's keeping stuff for himself. Sheep, oxen, donkeys, camels, and clothes. Part of which he would have been giving as tribute to Achish. And part of it he's keeping for himself. He's securing resources and, and wealth for himself. And here's the thing I, I would say here. I don't think we should look at what David is doing here as like being equivalent to other times where God, remember back in the time of Joshua, God's people go into the land of Canaan. God's bringing his justice to the land of Canaan or when Saul was being called upon to fight against the Malachites to bring God's justice to Malachites. That's not what David is doing here. And, and just sort of a quick aside here. In those situations where God is calling his people to go into Canaan, uh, when Saul is called to go and fight against the Malachites, what God is doing is bringing his justice to those peoples. The Canaanites, 
uh, back then, one of the things that it's, if you look at Canaanite culture, it wasn't just that they weren't not following God. I mean, they were, they were involved in sacrificing their children, like burning their children to their gods in the fire. They were enslaving people into these terrible sex cults. They were doing terrible things, horrible things. And so there's times when those things happen. God says it's so bad, it's like the land is trying to vomit these nations out. So there's moments like that where God does bring justice. And God, and God, by explicit command, that's when he does this. He says he explicitly commands his people to bring his justice in those moments. And in bringing justice in the time of Joshua, and also we see that with Saul and the Malachites, it's not a time for you to get rich. He says don't keep anything. It's not time to loot the people. And you're bringing my justice in these situations. That's not what's happening here, is it? There's no explicit command, right, from God to do this. David's just doing it, right? In all those other situations, God gives explicit command. That's not what happens here. And also David is keeping stuff for himself. Unlike the other situations. What we're seeing here is, I think, a bad tendency of David's. And that tendency is David is more than willing to lie and deceive when it suits his purposes. We saw this before, right? Remember when David lied about lied to Abimelech when he was on the run from Saul? It's like, yeah, I'm not on a run from Saul. I'm doing a mission for Saul. What does that lead to? Abimelech and all his town gets killed by Saul because David wasn't honest. Flash forward a number of years later, the story of Bathsheba. Many of you are familiar with it where he lies about committing adultery with Bathsheba. Sits up a situation for Bathsheba's husband to get killed. David's more than willing to lie, to cheat, to deceive, and to be kind of violent even when it comes down to it. What are we seeing here? He's in a certain situation, he's in certain circumstances that are leading to him make some terrible choices. <laughs> some very unwise decisions. It's a tendency that started when he made the decision to go to the Philistines and now it's being multiplied in sort of what he's doing to secure a place for himself. And again, as we think about this, the circumstances that lead us to make certain choices, to make certain decisions, for some of you, maybe it almost feels like an avalanche, right? Maybe you, you're, it's not just like you've made one bad choice and one unwise decision. Like you're on like bad choice number seven, right? Unwise decision number 10, right? It's like an avalanche. It multiplies and multiplies and multiplies. And as we go through these chapters, you're going to see that sort of increase with David. I think it's, it's notable. We're not seeing any mention of God in here, any direct command of God, David inquiring of the Lord, uh, any of that kind of thing. David is just like trying to figure things out. And when David's just trying to figure things out on his own, he goes to the thing that he's most comfortable with. I lie, I cheat, I deceive, I use my ability to, to kill people even, to make sure I'm safe, to make sure I'm secure. So David, uh, he's in this Philistine country now, and he's secured position for himself. But because he's been there, and it tells us in the text he's been there, he, he stays there for over a year, it does mean he's indebted now to the people. He's indebted specifically to Akish. And Akish, he makes this clear. He's like, let me spell this out, what this means, that I let you stay here. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 28, it says this. In those days, the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel. And Akish said to David, understand, you and your men are going to go out with me in the army. David said to Akish, very well, you shall know what your servant can do. Kind of, unambig kind of ambiguous there. I mean, David's probably thinking, well, I don't know what I'm going to do here. <laughs> Nikish said to David, very well, I'll make you my bodyguard for life. That's not great. Remember, David's supposed to be king of Israel, <laughs> right? Um, this is a bad situation. This is a bad situation. It's a situation where David is definitely going to be put to the test. The time comes. Nikish and the Philistines get ready to do their next major war against Israel. 
skip over to chapter 29. Now the Philistines had gathered all their forces at Apek, and the Israelites were encamped by the spring that is in Jezreel. Now Apek, it's interesting, that's a place where Israel has lost to the Philistines before. If you look early in, in the first Samuel, this is the place where they lost the Ark of the Covenant, right? So this is a bit of a foreshadowing. They're going to go, the, the Israel is about to go to against war against the Philistines. They've had huge losses there. It's foreshadowed particularly for Saul, and we'll hear the story of Saul next week. Um, about what's going to be happening to, the, to Israel here. So the Philistines are, are gathered up, and David is there. I mean, he's got to be. We just heard what AK said. Like, look, you're my bodyguard for life now. <laughs> like, I own you. You're going to be with me, and you got to fight with the Philistines against your own people. Can only imagine what, what David is thinking. He's in a terrible situation here, right? Born out of bad choices and unwise decisions. So he's there. All the troops are marching out. David marches out with his troops with a kish. Except the military commanders, the Philistines, see this, and they're like, like what, what is this guy doing here? <laughs> like, what, what, what's happening here? They go to Akish, and they're like, bro, like, what's, what's David here? Why is he here with our people, with all his troops? And Akish says, look, it's David. He deserted his people. He's been with me for a while. He's great. Don't worry about it. The commanders, though, they don't buy it. Verse 4 of chapter 29. But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with Akish. The commander of the Philistines said to him, send the man back that he may return to the place to which you have assigned him. He shall not go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he become an adversary to us. For how could this fellow reconcile himself to you? Would it not be with the heads of our men here? Is not this David, of whom they sing to one another in dances, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. David has a long rap sheet, right, of fighting against uh, the Philistines. What makes Akish think that he's going to be on their side? The, mil- the commander is like, oh, we don't know this guy. You know him, but we don't know him, and we don't trust him. We're still singing the song about his wars against us. Maybe his plan to get back good with Saul is to like betray us in the midst of the battle. This is not going to work. So Akish calls for David. He tells him, verse six, man, you've been such an honest and good person all these years. Like you should be able to go out with battle me, battle with me, but the others won't allow it. Verse six, it says. I found nothing wrong in you from the day of your coming to me to this day. Nevertheless, the lords do not approve of you, so go back now and go peacefully that you may not disturb the lords of the Philistines. I mean, there's great irony here, right? David clearly has not been honest. Right? <laughs> He's bragging about how good a person he is, but that's not true at all with David. And, and David is, I mean, he's on one here. Like, he, he knows this, of course, but he like, acts like he's super offended. Verse 8, he says this. And David said to Akish, what have I done? What have you found in your servant from the day I entered your service until now, that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my lord, the king? So he acts like he's super offended. What's interesting here, what he says here, that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my lord, the king. That phrase is the same phrase he uses when he talks about Saul. And all his interactions with Saul, he keeps calling him my lord, the king. And so some people think here that like maybe... He says this, but like it's unclear if he's actually saying, I see you as my word of the king, or actually I still see Saul that way. I, I'm going to betray you probably, right? I mean, who knows what's going to happen? The reality is he was in a difficult situation, and he has a way out now. Akish is completely fooled, right? He buys what David is saying. He's like, you feel sorry, right? And he says, you've been blameless, you've been a good guy, but you still got to go. Like my people will allow you to march in battle with us. So our chapter concludes with David and his men leaving and going back to their homes. So, how do we make sense of what happened here? Um, David, 
made a number of different decisions. He's in a tricky and bad situation. How did he get out of it? Well, I think what we understand here is that God allowed him to get out of this. And we understand this in scope of all of what God has been doing and, and talking about what he's doing in the book of 1 Samuel. We realize that God allowed him to get out of a situation of his own making. Again, let's remember how this started. This started with David being in a difficult situation, not the first time, and yet he doesn't do what he's done in other times in those situations. There's choices and decisions that God has said, here's what to do when you're in these situations, and David doesn't do that. So he makes a choice to go into enemy country, and he makes other choices, right, to attack other peoples, not really uh, under the command of the God, under his own direction and discretion. He involves in deception and violence, and it continues and continues, and he's in this horrible, really difficult situation where he could be put in a position to kill his own people. Bad choices, unwise decisions lead to more bad choices, unwise decisions. He's in this horrible situation. And what enters in here is, I think, the Lord's grace. The Lord's grace, and I like the way one person put it, the Lord's grace in silent mercy and quiet care. God showing grace in silent mercy and quiet care. We realize we have a God who's not just in front of the scene, right? Like we see God when like, oh, wow, look what happened. God is clearly here and doing things. We also have a God who works behind the scenes. You have a God who works even when you're not talking about him, even when you're not thinking about him, even when you're ignoring him, even when you are stupid, <laughs> when you make bad choices and unwise decisions, God's grace is there to meet us. That we have a God who is with us, working behind the scenes in all sorts of ways. A God of grace who's still willing to be your God when you mess up. When you are involved in stupid things and keep doing stupid things. That we have a God who is there and willing to be our God even in the worst decisions and the most stupid situations you find yourself in. I can say that because God knows us human beings. We've been doing it since the very beginning. The story of humanity is Adam and Eve making a very bad choice and a very unwise decision. It didn't stop there, did it? The whole story of the Bible is more bad choices, more unwise decisions. So much so, we can say like it's like endemic to humanity. Right? Given the right circumstances and the right situations, we will default to our worst habits. We will do stupid things and we'll continue to do that. We'll get mired in such a way that we almost become locked in place. And what does God do? Well, the story of the Bible is not a God who moved away from us, but moved towards us. Who gets so involved in our lives, he becomes one of us. He becomes us in Jesus, doesn't he? And what we see in Jesus is a God who's willing to say, I'm going to extend my grace to you such that it will be a guarantee for you. The grace of God is shown in Jesus living for us and dying for us and now opening a way for grace to be available for us, especially when we make bad choices especially when we make unwise decisions that lead us into stupid situations of our own making. The grace of God is most especially there, most especially there in those situations that we get into. God is always working with his silent mercy and quiet care behind the scenes in all areas of your life. And he does that even, even, even when, like David, we are doing things and forgetting all about the God we say we believe in and serve. I love the story of, of Peter. I think it's a great example of the grace of God as a guarantee for us. Think about the story of Peter. He's an apostle, uh, or sorry, a disciple of Jesus. And 
I mean, one of the, like, the big disciples of Jesus, like really vocal and, and well-known among the disciples. And yet when the time comes, he betrays Jesus. And not in a small way, right? In a way like everyone knows about that. We have it in our Bibles, right? He does it publicly three times. He betrays Jesus. He says, I don't know him. I mean, he should be out of the community, right? <laughs> I mean, when I come from, like, you betray us like that, like, you're done, <laughs> right? I forgot your name. Lose my phone number, right? Unfollow. Peter betrays Jesus, the son of God. And when Jesus comes back, what does Jesus do? He's like, you're still with me. Follow me. Be with me. You're still going to be a leader in my church. Jesus still extends grace even to a Peter. A Peter who betrayed him. Betrayed him publicly in front of all these people. It shows that God's plan is not stopped. It's not stopped even by betrayals like Jesus, even by bad choices and unwise decisions. God's plan for you is not stopped. It's not stopped because the grace of God is able to reach and find us in the midst of our situations and pull us back into relationship with him. So what should that do for you? Wherever you are today, whatever choices or decisions you're making, what, what, what should you take away from this? Well, number one, I want you to understand that God is still able and does help and protect you even when you're stupid. <laughs> If I could sum it up that way. God is able to help and protect you even when you are stupid. And let's admit, we are stupid a whole lot of the time. <laughs> Given the right circumstances, you will make choices and decisions that are not of the Lord. And God is able to help and guide. He does. That God is working behind the scenes to still keep us and protect us and secure us in the midst of our worst choices and most unwise decisions. That's the first thing. But the number two, the importance of not staying in that place. <laughs> you understand that God's grace is there to keep things moving for us, but it's also there to wake us up so that we might return to him and find him and be back in relationship with him. God's grace is there to keep us in his plan, but also to wake us up so that we get back in relationship with him as he continues to work his plan in our lives. And you see that especially when you contrast Saul with David. Saul receives grace from God, and yet he, he ignores it. He continues in his disobedience. Right? He digs in. See, God's grace is there for us, but if we resist it, we fight against it, we trample over it, well, God's grace is not a, a doormat. God's justice and judgment is still there. It's interesting to compare Saul with David. Here we see what David is doing in chapter 27, chapter 29. We'll see in two weeks from now, is a huge difference when we get to chapter 30. In chapter 30, David's again in a very difficult and bad situation. And what do we see? It's like he woke up. <laughs> he realized the grace of God. And we're told in verse 2, he strengthens himself in the Lord in chapter 30. In verse 8, we see him inquiring of the Lord again. What we didn't see in those two chapters, we see him again saying, okay, God, I need your help. The grace of God woke him up to see, God, you've been working behind the scenes. I need to get back right with you. God gives us grace. He guarantees it for us in Jesus so that our lives are forever secured in his sovereign plan for us. So let's thank him for that grace. That grace that is sufficient for us in all our situations, in all areas of our life. But let's follow that grace back to him. That grace is like this, it's like um, those people on the runways, right, with the, with the signs waving the, waving the planes down. Like God's grace is a place of safety and security and it's like you're flying the plane and the runway is always available for you. 
But the, and the grace of God is singling you to find more of that grace. <laughs> so we thank him for that grace, but we want to follow that grace. Thankful that no amount of bad choices, no amount of unwise decisions can keep us from landing the plane and finding our God back again. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this chance and this opportunity to, to be together. And Lord, um, I thank you for all the different areas of our life, Lord, that, um, well, thankful that they're all in your hands. <laughs> the times like where we're really doing well and the times where we're not doing so well. We thank you, Lord God, that you're always working behind the scenes, showing mercy, showing care. I can't help but think of the scripture that speaks of how you send rain and sun on, on the good and the bad alike. It's a statement of the kind of God you are. Um, but Lord, uh, there's also, Lord, uh, just a testimony of, of the kind of people that we are. And Lord, it is possible for us, Lord, to, to shirk that mercy, Lord, to dismiss it, to ignore it. Lord, uh, we pray today that, Lord, we would, again, be thankful that you work behind the scenes, Lord, and how there's some people here, Lord, who've made so many bad choices and so many unwise decisions. And Lord, you've been protecting them and guiding them, Lord. And I thank you for that. You've been watching over them. Uh, but Lord, may that grace, Lord, eventually be a wake-up call, Lord. May they never, Lord, Lord, may they not get to a place, Lord God, where they become so hardened, Lord, they fall apart. Your grace is always there, Lord God, but we can become hard, so hard, like clay, we become left out in the sun, we become brittle and fall apart. Your grace is there to keep us soft, um, Lord, to keep us centered, uh, to keep us focused again on you, returning to you. And so, um, Lord, I do pray this morning, help us to hear your call. And the thankfulness for your grace, help us, Lord, to follow it back home. We thank you that you're a God, and we thank you for the guarantee of your grace that you've given us in Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.